episode 10, Reformation Day in the Bible in English. Welcome to the Principles and Practice Podcast. This is where we discuss biblical principles for life and learning. I'm your host, Heather Hall, and this is my co-host, Brian Hall. Well, October 31st is just around the corner at the time of this recording, so we thought that we would take some time to talk with you guys about how we got the Bible in English, about the Protestant Reformation Day, and how that ended up having an impact on the formation of America. I thought October 31st was something else. Well, you're correct. We all know that many people celebrate Halloween. Uh, We choose not to. Instead, we choose to commemorate the Protestant Reformation Day, and that takes place on October 31st because that is the day in history that Martin Luther ended up nailing his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Church, also called Castle Church. So when we, and what we end up doing is actually using this as a time to witness to other people. We share about the gospel with them and We also share about the Christian history timeline or as we have addressed in a previous podcast, the chain of Christianity, but we'll go into a little bit more about how we do this with our our neighbors toward the end of the episode. For now, we're going to start off with 850 AD and Alfred the Great. Did you guys know that Alfred the Great was a Christian king and a royal scholar? I know I didn't. Did you know that he was homeschooled, at least for a time? No. He was taught how to read by his mother, and her name was Judith. I've read that Alfred loved learning, and at 13, he translated psalms and prayers from Latin to Anglo-Saxon. At 22, he became the king of Wessex and made a law book beginning with the Ten Commandments. So... In reading about him, we've learned that religion and learning were two of the most important parts of life to him. And then you kind of fast forward on the chain of Christianity to the year 1384 AD, and then that's when we learn about Wycliffe. We learn about the Wycliffe Bible, which was known as the People's Bible. Right. He was uh, also known as the Morning Star of the English Reformation. And he actually translated the Latin Vulgate Bible into English. And his opinion was he thought the church was too rich and the clergy were not teaching the word or living for it. So he taught the word, sent out followers called... Lollards. Thank you. And to teach uh, God's word, he was tried and declared a heretic. His Bible was taken to the gatherings of the people. Right, and something that a lot of us don't think about or we're just not aware of or taught is that in John Wycliffe's time period and Alfred the Great's time period, of course, everything was transcribed by hand. So the copies of the Bible that Wycliffe translated into English from Latin were all done by hand. So it was a very slow process to get the Bible in English to the common people. And when we're learning about history and seeing God's providence, If you'll remember, providence means God's care and provision. Then we look at the timing of these men who were scholars and they understood the different languages and, you know, the biblical languages, the Greek, the Hebrew, Aramaic. 
And they were, well, even Latin, you know, obviously the Vulgate was translated from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic into Latin. But all that to say that they were very well versed in the different languages and they were able to translate them over into the language of the common people. But the timing of that, you know, they these people had it, had it impressed upon their hearts to allow other Christians to be able to read God's word for themselves. And they did this at a great price. It took up a lot of their time. They sacrificed a lot. Like many of them ended up sacrificing their lives. They loved other people so much and they loved God's word so much that they wanted people to be able to read that word, the word of God for themselves and have that ability to know what the Bible actually teaches instead of actual heresies that were being taught in um, like the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church. So when you get to the year 1456, providentially the Gutenberg printing press comes on the scene. And where was that? Do you remember where that was um, Uh, out of? It was out of Mainz, Germany. Okay. And then that, if I remember right, had the first printed Latin Bible. Mm. And in England, William Caxton set up a printing press. Yes. So, you know, eventually you have this this invention, and it's allowing for more copies of the Bible to be produced at a much faster pace because obviously it's, you know, it's a press. It's, it's a mm-hmm. printing press. It's making all these copies. A lot less expensive than hiring people to write it all down. Right. And how time consuming it must have been Mm -hmm. to put all of those letters in place on the, on the plates. All right. So then in 1492, Christopher Columbus comes on the scene and his name means Christ bearer. And so he, he really took that to heart and thought that he was to be a Christ bearer to the new world. And the printing press had been in action for about 40 years uh, before um, before this, so he had access to the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, read it, and be inspired. He did, and I know that he gets a bad rap from revisionists, and I know it's easy to just take that and run with it, but I'd like to encourage everybody to take time to get to know Christopher Columbus for who he was through his own writings and then through historical records that other people had made account of with their interactions with him. He has his journal that is online. You can look that up and read through it. He also had like a book of prophecies that he wrote. And um, so anyway, so God did use him. He was a sinful person like everybody else in the world, but God still used him and Again, I would just encourage you to get to know him for himself. So moving right along on the chain of Christianity, we get to the year 1525, and we're looking at the start of the English Reformation. And this is where we get to William Tyndale. Uh, He's father of the English Bible. And uh, once again, he was a translator. He translated the scriptures from Hebrew and Greek. And um, it's interesting to note that 80% of the Old Testament and 90% of the New Testament translations today or from uh, Tyndale's work. So they he was really accurate with what he did. Mm-hmm. And I think he faced a lot of persecution as well. And then I think it was three years after 
after his death that the king had gone ahead and allowed the publication and distribution of Tyndale's Bible. Mm -hmm. So in 1535, a Coverdale Bible uh, was printed. That was that was translated by Miles Coverdale. Yes, he helped uh, Tyndale with his translation of the Old Testament, and and uh, finished his version of the complete English Bible. And that ended up being the first printed English Bible. Mm-hmm. And as demand grew for it, Henry VIII permitted it to be published in England. Well, that was nice of him. <laughs> well, and the fact that you know we, I think it's an example for us today, right? It's the the loudest. Squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Yeah, the squeaky wheel that gets the <laughs> grease. So that's, you know, there was such a demand for it that finally the king caved into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we see that today too. Okay, so we get to 1537 and we reach the Matthew Bible. At least that's the assumed name of it. It was authorized by Henry VIII in 1538 in a royal proclamation to place the English Bible in every church. And it contained all of Tyndale's translation plus Coverdale's. Mm-hmm. So it's important to understand that also, you know, backtracking a little bit here on the timeline, that it was only the clergy that had copies of the Bible. And they were extremely expensive because they were done by hand and they were huge and... um you know, they also had, and they also had some fancy illuminations, mm-hmm. illuminary art in them that the scribes did. So they had some colors that were um, laid down on the pages, and they also had special ink that was used that was reflective mm-hmm. or illuminary. So it looked like it was illuminating the pages. So it was a pretty big deal that a copy of the Bible was to be at the pulpit at all times for other people to be able to go in and read the Bible. Mm-hmm. So in 1539, is that the Great Bible? And that's so, so, yeah, by the time you get the Great Bible on the scene, the fine art of printing was refined. And he had him chained to the church. Who did? Oh, King Henry VIII. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're, he, they're valuable enough that he had him chained to the church, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and then people had access to be able to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. So 1560 arrives, and then we get the Geneva Bible. And that actually is a product of Calvin, Knox, and Whittingham. And in this version of the Bible, this translation of the Bible, the Old Testament is now completely translated from Hebrew. Whereas with Tyndale's version, I think we forgot to address that it was just the Pentateuch Mm -hmm. that was translated. The first five books of the Bible. Yeah. So now with the Geneva Bible, all of the Old Testament was completely translated from Hebrew. And the margins contained political notes of the great reformers. And this is important because once you understand how history unfolds and the impact that the Bible has on civics, then you then you begin to understand that the Bible is a political textbook, but not just a political textbook. It's the political textbook of liberty. And it affected three nations. It affected, let's see, England. Scotland. Mm -hmm. And the United States. Mm -hmm. 
the United States of America. And the text was put into chapters and verses. So that made it a lot easier to follow. Mm. And then um, the text, you know, or the Bible was small in size. And that ended up making it more affordable. And it made it more popular, too, because Mm -hmm. it was easier to carry around. Yep. It was also known as the Bible of Shakespeare and the Pilgrims. Right. That is the one that the Pilgrims brought over with them. So we get to uh, 1611. And we end up with the uh, King James Bible. Uh, so it was uh, authorized by King James I, of course. Right, and it contains a predominance of Saxon words and represented the flowering of the English language. I actually grew up on the King James. Yeah, so did I. Well, I'll take that back. When I became a Christian, I grew up on the King James. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and this one had no marginal notes. So this didn't have all the uh, reformers' notes on the sides. And it's uh, considered the freest and purest translation since Wycliffe. So I guess unless, you know, the preceding generations back in England were taught, um, you know, the, the Bible passages and the principles of civil government from those who were either had copies of the Geneva Bible that were still remaining in England hmm. or they knew about it, that they wouldn't have known about those passages and, you know, it's interesting because in talking with people who live in England, they don't know about the effect of the Protestant Reformation, and they don't understand how the Bible ties in with the civil liberties that we were given at the founding of our nation. So they don't even look at that. Maybe that's why uh, King James took those marginal notes out. <laughs> Maybe. But I know that there are there's a contrast between our forms of government mm-hmm to this day so yeah that's interesting okay so we get to 1620 and as many history lovers know that that's the year of the landing of the pilgrims and the bible traveled west with the pilgrims and they were known as people of the book who planted the seeds of the first christian constitutional republic in america through the mayflower compact Mm -hmm. and um which bible did they bring Well, they brought over the Geneva Bible. And so the Bible ended up becoming the first book of learning Mm -hmm. that was the primer of all instruction in America's founding era. Mm -hmm. It was considered preeminent in all of American life and learning and the textbook of civil government. Mm -hmm. And um, in 1640, the first published book was the Bay Psalm book. And it was the first book printed in America. Several colonies required children and uh, to be able to read the scriptures. So their main focus was them, for them to read, is to read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And then going back to the whole idea of the Bible being the textbook of civil government, they were learning those biblical principles of government uh, for both well, not both, for the jurisdictions of family, of church, and of civil government. Okay, and then in 1683, the very first American textbook for children came on the scene, and that was the New England Primer. And out of the New England Primer, children were taught to read using what was called the Horn Book, which, I mean, I guess you could look that up with your kids, if you, your children, if you don't know what that looks like, but it was like a, like a board with a handle. And... Um, There was a primer, a psalter, and a Bible. Textbooks contained Christian values and themes in them. Of course, we get on to uh, 1776. I can't remember what happened that day. (laughs) 
that was a declaration of independence. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, so the American Christian Republic was a new nation founded upon the biblical principles of government. So that's just a brief overview of the Protestant Reformation and then the Bible in English and how that ended up impacting the pilgrims who separated out of the Church of England. I guess we didn't really talk about that part, though. So we'll kind of backtrack a little bit to where Mm -hmm. the Puritans and the Separatists were a part of the Church of England. And as the Bible came into the hands of the individual, they realized that some truths weren't being taught out of God's word. And even though they, so they tried to change the church from the top down. The Puritans wanted to reform the church that way. The separatists ended up realizing that that wasn't going to happen. They recognized that reform began with the individual. So things actually had to change from the bottom up. With self-government. With self Christian self-government. Yep. Which we talked about in a previous podcast. Mm-hmm. So they ended up separating out of the Church of England and eventually go over to Holland. And I think they were there for 11 years, if I remember right, learning about principles of government and other biblical principles from Pastor Robinson. And then they eventually travel westward to the New World, to America, with the Bible so that they could share the gospel and have religious liberty and, you know, following Reformation Day is Thanksgiving Day in November. And so probably between Reformation Day and Thanksgiving Day is a good time to pull out William Bradford's journal of Plymouth Plantation and start reading about their journey and their experience in the new world. So, you know, with our uh, podcast, we are trying to show that we study from, you know, cause to effect. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to go through the Reformation up through this time period just to show how all this stuff had to happen to come to the end result of the United States. Right. And it's important to recognize that, what is it? We had Spain, there was France, and there was England, all vying for the land over here, and all of them were monarchies. So any one of those could have formed or established a nation here, and then we all would have been under a monarchy. So we have to understand that providentially, the Bible came over here with our forefathers and then our founding fathers who were very well versed in the scriptures and in nation making. They saw the wisdom in applying. They saw the wisdom in the principle of representation. They saw the wisdom in, so they saw the wisdom with the three branches of government. And that was able to all come together to give us the liberties that we have in America. That's the reason why we commemorate Reformation Day. Mm-hmm. So we'll recap those reasons. You know, those people, those brothers in Christ gave up much of their time and their of their lives to help make sure that people could read the Bible in their common language. And since the gospel traveled westward from England, that impacts America in this way. But we know that the Reformation took place in other parts of the world as well. And every country has a providential history to it. We live in America, so right now we're focusing on how it impacted America. So to commemorate it, we like to decorate our front porch. And it actually ends up looking kind of like a little 
a theater stage. More castle-y. That looks cool. Yeah, we we do kind of a like a background wall, and we took sponges and painted boards to look like stonework, and then we went in with sharpies and some black mm-hmm. acrylic paint to do shadows under the stones to make them look a little more dimensional and let's see we also like to make the front door look like a castle door and we have a table set out in the front mm-hmm. with some candles on it um, yep, and we play some uh, nice uh, renaissance music in the background mm-hmm. so your people um, approach the door they get that effect yeah and it also helps draw their attention to the front porch because it's not decorated with what you typically see for Halloween because it's not, you know, evil or scary or cartoony, evil, scary looking. It kind of looks like a renaissance. Well, it looks renaissance. <laughs> we have like a little felt banner that we sewed that we hang from, um, you know, along the top of the porch. And we have children's literature that we set out. Mm-hmm. We like author or books written by Louise A. Vernon on the Reformers. We like um, books by Douglas Bond that we'll set out there. And we also have copies of the Bible. And all of the books are individually wrapped with ribbon and a gift tag. And we have a little sign out there that says, please take one. And we also have a bowl of candy that we set out. Of course, can't forget the candy. Gotta have the candy. And I think we also set out some, like, LED battery-operated candles every year along the porch to help draw attention. along the porch, along the path, so people Mm -hmm. can see their way. Yeah. So it's really special. And, oh, we also set out copies of the Chain of Christianity when it comes to the Bible in English. So all of what we covered and then a little bit more is on those handouts so that people can learn and hopefully see and appreciate what we have and why we have it and then we also oh every year some of our children will hand draw coloring pages and then we'll make copies of those and set them out there for children to take that's always a lot of fun yeah and then we'll also put a sign on the front door that says you know something like happy reformation day Mm -hmm. hopefully we we're just hoping to get people to think about it and give them the information in front of them that they can take with them yeah. And uh, every year, uh, people take the books, people take the Reformation Day sheets and coloring pages. So They do, and it was a year or two, I think two years ago, where just in passing by the front door, we heard people excitedly talking about how they never had heard of Reformation Day and that they thought that was exciting and they wanted to look more into it. And like Ryan mentioned, a lot of the literature was taken and – so, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and it's a good way to witness to people and share about how God's Word not just only impacts individuals, but also nations, and of course, our culture. So, and then inside our home, we oftentimes have friends over to celebrate with us or commemorate with us mm-hmm. about this time in history, and there's different you know, movies that you can look up on YouTube or whatever that are older films about different reformers. Um, one of our favorites to watch every year is Monumental, which was produced by 
Kirk Cameron, and mm-hmm. then Dr. Marshall. Marshall Foster goes through a lot of the providential history in that, so we recommend that. And um, there's also a brother and sister that have done some short films. They, they did Polycarp, and then they did a short film of Lady Jane Grey. So very, very, very short, <laughs> and the end of that, they did it, you know, it wasn't graphic, but... We don't recommend younger children watching it, but, you know, <laughs> the end for Lady Jane Grey wasn't very pleasant. So so we hope that this inspires you and gives you some ideas on how to reach your community with the gospel and help share about God's mighty deeds, his great works in history, and that that'll inspire other people and help them to see the value of what we have and how we got it. So we're going to end this episode by saying happy Reformation Day. As always, if you're looking for additional resources or support, you can visit our website at principalacademy.com. Check out our shop and our blog. And you can also find us on Facebook at Christian Homeschooling with Bible Principles. Also on Instagram under Principal Academy. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Well, this is Heather Hall. And this is Brian Hall. For Christ and His glory.